Hey everyone, welcome back. And today's scripture reading is 1 Corinthians 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, born into both their Lord and ours. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Uh, James, thanks for, for reading that. Uh, and of course, want to say thank you uh, to Hope, um, who's put this beautiful music together and our slides together, and, and for Grace and Adam, who's leading us uh, together in, in doing our technology for us, but also uh, to SK and, and Millie for really leading us uh, well in those two elements and, and teaching us well in those two elements. So thank you for leading us in worship. It's good to be with with each of you this morning. Uh, today, we're going to begin a new sermon series that's going to take us through the summer, and I hope it's going to be fun, but I also hope it's going to uh, be informative and shape us um, as, a, as a community on a spiritual journey together, um, as those who are exploring Christianity or been, been Christians for a long time. And the, the uh, title of the series is going to be Identity in the Moral Imagination. Um, identity and the moral imagination. And today we're going to look at what it, what it means to be saints. Now you might think, why would we talk about this particular term? Well, we're going to talk about a lot of different terms. And the reason for that is because there's many terms in scriptures that are synonymous with the term Christian. You know, in the New Testament, followers of Christ are rarely referred to as Christians. In fact, in both the Old and the New Testaments, God's people are often given other titles. They're often given other descriptions, uh, descriptions like soldier or citizen or servant or saint. And these are all helpful. They're all provocative in their own way. And they're also uh, fairly evocative in their own way. And what I appreciate about them is that they do um, something more than what a, a mere principle can do. And that is, is that they shape our imagination. They provide a broader understanding of what, what it is to be a Christian. They provide a broader understanding of Christian identity. And with that comes moral agency. We learn not just uh, the scope of, of the Christian faith, but we learn that we're also, it, we're also meant to be moral agents uh, as those who are part of the kingdom of God. And so as we move into this new era of life here in the city, as we consider uh, uh, this city that's opening up, I'd like for us to consider the identity and the moral imagination of Christians at this particular time and place. Uh, we'd like us to consider the identity and the moral imagination of Christians, Christians uh, that Christians have had in all times and in all places. And it's this identity, it's this imagination that should provide for us and, and propel us into this new era here in the city. So this week, we're going to look at what it means when the Bible calls people saints. And we learn a lot just from this particular verse here, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. 
Now, that's not the only place where we hear the term saints, but I think we can learn some pretty uh, foundational things about this, this term. Saints, according to the Bible, are those who are set apart by God for holiness, but it's not their good deeds, it's not their morality which makes them holy, it's actually Christ's. And so even with this one verse, we begin to have our imagination shaped. We can begin to have our moral agency motivated. And so what do we learn from the Apostle Paul here? We learn that saints are being called out, that they're being called in, and that they're being called together. So saints are being called out, they're being called in, and saints are being called to come together. So first, saints are being called out. Uh, what do I mean by they're being called out? I think you know, being called out has, has two meanings, doesn't it? You can call out somebody, you can challenge them, you can confront them. Um, and we're going to do that more in the second point. We're going to talk about that more in the second point. But what I mean by being called out here is that Paul calls out to the church of Corinth. He tries to get their attention. And by trying to get their attention, he uses this particular term, saints. Now, what we learn about that term is that it can be used for everyone. Saints is a synonymous term for Christians, or saints uh, is synonymous to the word Christian, and therefore saints can be used for everyone. It can be used for the young and old. It can be used for mature and immature, Jew or Gentile, male or female, both brand new Christians, as well as the apostles themselves. Every member of the church, every person who's in Christ is equally a saint. But of course, that's not how we tend to think about saints, is it? When we tend to think of saints, we tend to think of those who are spiritual superheroes. We tend to think of the spiritual elite, the holy few, who, because of you know, their extraordinary life, because of their sacrificial work, they've achieved in the eyes of others a kind of rarefied spiritual status. They, uh, they've become uh, a kind of spiritual royalty. And so we receive much of this... Uh, formation, you might say, much of these ideas around uh, what saints are from movies, from narratives, but primarily because we've been informed as a culture by, by the Roman Catholic Church and their understanding of sainthood and the system of saints that they, they have uh, put out into the world. And of course, we're Protestants. Um, we don't adhere to that form of, of sainthood, but I think we have to say that even their notion of sainthood really does broaden our understanding of what it is to be a Christian and how, uh, how the Christian life can shape the world, uh, shape uh, our present, shape our future. Um, and so we think of, of course, you know, the greatest of, of saints in the Catholic Church, of course, is uh, Mary, the mother of God. And perhaps, you know, you have come across saints in your life that you, you want to read more about because they line up with some of the things that you're interested in. In life, so you think of Saint Jude, and Saint Jude is, of course, is the patron saint of lost causes. It's a beautiful title, right? Captures our imagination. Or you think of somebody like Saint Francis of Assisi, who is the patron saint of animals, the patron saint of nature. Or uh, a personal favorite of mine is Saint Lawrence, and Saint Lawrence was the patron saint of the poor. And one of the reasons I liked him is because I've been captured by a story that I'd heard about St. Lawrence for a long time. And he was called the patron saint of the poor because he was put in a position in which he was able to demonstrate his love for the poor. 
St. Lawrence lived in a time in which Rome was persecuting Christians. And the Roman Empire believed that the church at the time was hiding all of its riches. And so the Roman Empire uh, came to St. Lawrence and they said, uh, you know, you're the leader. We, and we want you to go and you, we want you to um, go and find all the riches that the, the church has been hiding. You want to bring the, that wealth, those riches uh, to the, to the uh, authorities in Rome. And so what St. Lawrence did was he, he went to a group of people and he gathered them and they were the sick and they were the poor and they were the meek and they were the suffering. And he brought them to the Roman authorities. And he said, these people, these poor, these needy, these who are suffering, these are the riches of the church. It's beautiful. And of course, the Roman Empire didn't find that too beautiful. They didn't find that too funny. And so they burned him at the stake. And the legend has it that as they threw him on this, you know, this gridiron over hot coals in order to burn him to death, that he turned to the Roman soldier who was doing it. And he said, turn me over. I'm done on this side. Now, that is uh, quite a story. And it's stories like this, I think, that uh, sort of epitomize how we think and feel about saints, that they're built different, that saints are, have something extra. Uh, that they have been presented both this unique opportunity, but they've always had this special quality to care more, to endure more, to brave more, to respond more. In other words, when we think about saints, we believe that they've received this saint status by doing what? By achieving, by their life and their work, a saint status. So when we think about them and we compare our own mediocre lives to theirs, what do we do? We shrink back. We, we chafe. We say, you know, don't compare me to St. Lawrence. <laughs> He's a saint. But I think as we think about these stories and we recognize these historical figures, uh, as we recognize that some of the stories that are passed down to us to inform us of their life um, are not necessarily, are not scripture. Uh, that we have to, in some sense, take them um, with a grain of salt. And I think we have to recognize that even St. Lawrence couldn't live up to St. Lawrence's story. Um, and so we have to recognize that, that, that saints, uh, accord, or, or that we think of saints as kind of superheroes, but that's not how the Bible and that's not how the Apostle Paul thinks about saints. Because when it comes to saints, the secret of saintness, you might say, uh, is hiding in plain sight. And what we see here in just this one verse is that saints are not called saints because of their work. They're called saints because of Christ's work. Saint is a derivation of the word sanctification, which means that saints become saints not by their, not by their own moral achievements or their own good deeds. They become saints by the sanctifying work of Jesus. Saints become saints by the purifying work of Jesus on their own soul and on their own behavior. And if the scriptures are true, and of course they are, that work has been done even before these saints have been born. And so what do we know about saints? What we know about saints is to be a saint is to be a Christian. And to be a Christian is to be a saint. These are synonymous terms. And of course, saints and Christians are set apart. 
but they're set apart by God's holiness at work in you and not our moral achievement or our, um, our altruism on our own. So let me ask, which of the two, two ideas of sainthood is more liberating for you? Which is more comforting? Which is more assuring to you? Do you, do you feel more comforted or assured by the superhero notion of being a saint, or are you more comforted and assured by, the, by an everyday uh, saint, uh, idea of sainthood in which the, the sanctifying power of God is at work in your life? Paul is calling out to every Christian in Corinth, and he's calling out to you and I, and he's saying, if you're a Christian, let Christ be the perfect one. You're a saint, and allow me to do the extraordinary things in your life. Allow me to do the extraordinary things in your everyday life. What does it mean to be a saint? It means that the sanctifying work of God is at work in your life. Point two. So saints are not just called out. Paul doesn't just call uh, out to saints to get their attention. But he also calls them out. He challenges them in order to call them in which is important for us to see. Paul is calling saints in when at any other time, a community based on moral performance would be calling them out. What do I mean? You know, all the pastoral letters, the epistles, um, the letters that Paul writes or the other disciples, the other saints write to the church, they're all pastoral letters. They're all letters in which they're trying to help and serve and guide and teach and persuade the saints towards not just um, to persuade the saints to, to live as a saint, right? He calls them saints. And now he says, you're called to be a saint. You're called to be the church. And, and in the, first, the letter to 1 Corinthians, Paul is seeking to further these Christians along in their own faith journey. So he addresses them as saints. And as he addresses them, he challenges them because they are experiencing significant moral, moral failures in their life uh, as individuals and as a church. And when you see that in these first six chapters, you can read about how there's all kinds of infighting among the saints, that Christians were suing one another in the public courts. They were demonstrating before the public that they didn't know how to reconcile. They didn't uh, have the wisdom within themselves uh, to solve problems. They didn't have the grace within themselves to forgive when the scriptures and when the church was calling them to forgive so they would sue one another in the public courts. They were lording uh, their spirituality over one another as though one were more superior uh, than another. Uh, the saints were abusing uh, the Lord's Supper, which always took part within a communal meal. And so what you, you saw within uh, the church of Corinth was that the poor were being um, were being um, pushed away from the Lord's, Lord's table when they should have been brought in. So, you know, the church of Corinth was defiling the Lord's Supper. They were, you know, uh, um, abusing the communal meal. They were making the Lord's Supper, you know, cliquish. They were also misusing their bodies for sexual gratification. And therefore, in every uh, significant way, every public way, they were undermining the work of God in the world by their moral behavior. And Christians uh, are not merely saints, as, as 
we're learning here, but Paul is saying, God has given this designation to you. He's called you to himself so that you might live another way. So Christians aren't simply called saints. We're called to be saints. And so Paul pastors them by calling them out as saints because he trusts that God is at work and work within them and that his spirit will draw them in as saints. Let me say that again. Paul pastors them by calling them out as saints. And he trusts that Christ, who is at work and work within them, will by his spirit draw them in as saints. So he's calling them out, knowing that they're going to be called in. But why is he being so pastoral? Because even the Apostle Paul knows, even St. Paul knows that there's no superheroes in the faith, only those who are being sanctified. There are only everyday saints, not superhero saints. And he knows what Martin Luther would later describe as uh, his gospel in a nutshell, and that is that saints are simul justus et peccator. Simul justus et peccator, and that's Latin for that we are simultaneously just and sinful. That at the same time, we have been made right with God as he continues to sanctify us from our sinfulness. And everyday Christian saints, not superheroes, but everyday Christian saints hold those two truths together when it comes to their spiritual lives. And maybe just to put that in more plain speech, you know, Brian Stevenson, who in many ways is a, is a superhero in our culture, unless you were to ask him. But Brian Stevenson uh, correctly says of every person that when it comes to human dignity, that we're more than the worst things that we've ever done. And I think that's absolutely true. It doesn't matter if you're on death row, because you're created in the image of God, you're more than the worst things that you've done. And we need to hear that. All of us need to hear that. But it's also true that when it comes to our own moral record before God and man, that we're also less than the best things we've done. See, we're more than the worst things we've done, but we're less than the best things we've done. And what that means is that there's no amount of, no amount of walking little old ladies across the street that can outweigh the hurt that we have uh, given to the, those that we love the most on a daily basis. There's no amount of good deeds we've done that could outweigh the, the wrongs that we've done in this world. See, Christianity isn't, is not for superheroes or people who actually think that they can achieve a superhero status. It's for everyday saints who know they need sanctifying, who know that they experience sanctifying in Christ. And therefore, we hold these two ideas, these two truths together, and we all, we in holding those two truths together, we grow as they inform our imaginations and they begin to form our own behavior. So maybe this is new for you, <laughs> or maybe this is something that you've, you've heard over and over again and you need to hear over and over again. You need to continue to have your imagination shaped, right? So let me ask, how do you understand the Christian life? Do you think that in order for God to love you, that you need to be a superhero of the faith? Or can you simply be an everyday New Testament saint that holds together the reality that you were both a sinner, but you've been saved by grace, that you were simultaneously justified before God, 
and yet a sinner in need of the ongoing sanctifying work of his spirit. Do you think the Christian life is where you try and maintain the status of being a good person? And church is simply a place where good people tell other good people how to become even better. Or can you imagine and can you believe that the church is really a hospital full of sinners who come to experience a community in which they can be ministered to, in which they can receive healing and hope. See, many of us have been around the Christian faith and we would answer those particular questions and we say, no, I, I don't believe, you know, I don't believe that Christian faith is about good people telling other good people how to be better. You know, I don't believe in a superhero, uh, you know, notion of, of sainthood and that being a, a Christian is being about the best, you know, uh, exerting, a, you know, your moral, uh, a moral performance. I don't believe that. But let me ask, do you live in fear of other people finding out your deep flaws? Do you hide when it comes, when the notion or the conversation of sin comes up? Do you rationalize or you minimize your brokenness? Do you see sin and its effects all around the world, but you never speak with anyone about your own? Do you find it hard to believe that there's a community of people, of Christian people in the world that are open, ready, willing to talk about brokenness uh, to the degree uh, that they share their own struggles, that they're honest about their own feelings, about the things that they're enslaved to, that the, the things that they feel like they could never possibly give up, but they desperately want to. Do, do you believe that there's a community out there that doesn't just believe uh, sin is a doctrine to them because they, they know how hard it is to overcome? It's a daily struggle for them. And they speak about it. They speak about their walk with the Lord. They speak about their, their um, struggle with sin because they're so aware of this dual nature of their saintness. But they're also so aware that Jesus meets them in it and covers him by his love and his commitment to them. See, it's so important that we don't think about saints as superheroes because superheroes can never admit or reveal their weakness. So what do they do? They ignore them, they, they hide them, and they seek to live simply out of their own strengths. But Christians are called to do something other, utterly different. New Testament, everyday Christians, who understand their double nature as sinners saved by grace. They're liberated from having uh, the burden of being, uh, of, of believing they have to be spiritual superheroes. And when that is true, then they can lead not only out of their strength, but out of their weakness too. And their weakness becomes a strength for others. So Paul calls saints out in the church, gets their attention. He calls them in by challenging them and trusting that the Spirit of God will see them through that challenge, help them overcome that challenge, let them know the real life of, of the Christian, the real life of the saint, is that they're sinners saved by grace, that he is their strength that helps them overcome their weakness. So he doesn't just call them out, he calls them in when every other community would reject them.
And in calling them in, he calls us together. Now, one of the big ideas here in this passage here is that Jesus Christ says that, or that Paul says that in Jesus, that we are united one to another in every place that call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means is that we're not just united as a local community of, of people, but we're united to all people in all times and places in the name of Jesus. That we're united in the church one to another, that we're all part of his body. And you know how intimately and how much love Christ had for his body. Paul knows. You know, in Acts 9, when Paul is confronted by the risen Jesus, after Paul has been persecuting the church, he's been persecuting and killing saints. What does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, Paul, Paul, why have you been persecuting me? And of course, the first thought that goes through Paul's mind is, I haven't been persecuting you. But Jesus' relationship to his people, his relationship to the saints, those he's sanctifying, those he's called and is working his holiness in, is so intimate, is so, is so true, it's so connected through all times and places that he refers to the, to the, to the church as himself. He says, when you've been persecuting the church, you've been persecuting me. And now here's Paul who's been brought into the body of Christ and he's saying what good it is to have fellowship together. What good it is to be referred to as his saints, to know that as sanctifying as that work within me. And Paul who is saying, I am the chief among sinners. He's saying, what good it is for me to be with you in Christ. And so he's calling out to this people and he's reshaping their imagination. And he's saying, there is another way to live. You do not need to be superheroes because you have the God who's the true hero of all humanity in Jesus. We're in him. Lay down your good deeds. Lay down your aspirations of being a good person. Trust in him. And he will do extraordinary things through your ordinary everyday life. And when we're all together as a church, we'll talk about them and we'll share our lives as though they're living parables. You know, we'll talk about the ways that the Spirit of God is at work and encouraging us and challenging us and giving us hope in the midst of struggles. But, you know, I have an inclination that when we're in heaven, we're not going to be using agricultural metaphors or fishing metaphors to talk about the gospel anymore. We're going to talk about you. We're going to talk about marriage, and we're going to talk about work, and we're going to talk about culture shaping. We're going to talk about pandemics. We're going to talk about all the ways that all of the saints throughout all time in history, where their lives were living parables of the gospel at work in them. And we'll rejoice. And we'll be encouraged and we'll celebrate even then the living reality of the sanctifying work of God in what was our ordinary everyday lives. Now, how do we enter into that more fully? As those who have set apart, we have to set apart time and energy and our own souls to be with one another. We got to make time to do that. Now, I would say one of the primary ways that we can do that, we have been doing that, is through prayer. 
that we come together as a people and and we come in the name of, of the Lord and we, in, we bring our lives before God in prayer. And, you know, every week we talk about our prayer at 830, and that is not to shame anybody, but it's to say, hey, you should taste this. This is good. This is actually shaping our imagination. This is actually forging a community together in ways that we hadn't experienced before, that we're growing in ways that we didn't realize we could grow before, that we're understanding the scriptures in ways that we hadn't before, and we're being united to one another in ways that we hadn't before. We're sensing a body being formed. And so let me challenge you in the same way that Paul challenges the church. How are you setting apart time for God? Do you know that Jesus says that you can do nothing apart from me? How are you setting apart time? I know you guys. I know how hard you work. I know the demands that are happening in your life. I know uh, the relationships you're in or you're not in. I know the burdens that are on your heart. I know many of the struggles that you face. How are you setting apart time so that the sanctifying work can be done in your life? You're a saint. Paul's calling you to live as a saint and not to do that on your own uh, moral authority, not to do that on your, uh, based on your own strengths because you're not superheroes, but you need a superhero. You need a superhero and you have one in Christ. And so that's the call for us today. I think to set part of time for yourself, for us as a community, for holy dialogue in prayer. And you know what happens in prayer? God takes those feelings that we have, those groans, those desires, and he translates them by the spirit to the Lord. So you don't have to come and be articulate. Uh, you don't have to come with all of your thoughts in order. You don't have to come with a mission statement. You can just come you can groan and you can sigh and you can fumble around with your words and God knows what's on your heart and he translates that to God. That's what Romans 8, 27 says. It says that the same spirit who knows the mind of God and see intercedes in the lives of the saints. Do you believe that? Set apart time to receive that, to experience that so that you might live out of this saintness and that the world might see that the church is alive and well, even now in New York City. Let that be true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, despite our inconsistencies in the faith, Proverbs 31 tells us that forever the Lord will stand by and never forsake his saints. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, take this term that we just use all the time and we never really think much about it, would it inform us as the, to the true nature of the Christian, to our own Christian experience, that we are not called to be superheroes, but we're called to experience the everyday sanctifying work of your love and your spirit in our lives so that we might do countercultural extraordinary things with our time, with our energy, with our talents, because we've been blessed so that we might bless others. I pray all of this in Jesus' name.
Amen.